Ben, what's your favourite fire cooking technique? Nothing fancy. Just goat satay cooked over coconut husk flames in Lombok with a dude fanning the coals <laughs> with a cardboard fan. Okay, okay. We'll put in the request to the people at Vivid Fire Kitchen, which is exactly what it sounds like. Vivid Fire Kitchen is a pop-up running as part of Vivid from May 24 to June 15 at The Goods Line in the Sydney CBD, and it's all about cooking with fire. Tandoor, teppanyaki, First Nations food, tender brisket, charred veggies and aromatic satay, to name a few. With hand-fanned coconut husks? Uh, I mean, no promises. Vivid Fire Kitchen proudly sponsoring this episode of Ingridopedia. All right, pasta fans, this is the Ingredipedia Bites interview for you. Today, we're chatting to Jacqueline Krupe, a proud Italian-Australian pasta maker and pasta devotee and author of the new book, Pasta Love, which is a love letter to pasta and the people who make it. In the book, Jacqueline shares recipes for pasta doughs, as well as shapes and seasonal sauces, and she explores where pasta comes from and who makes it profiles some incredibly gorgeous nonne and chefs alike and shows that anyone can and should give pasta making a go and just quietly if you don't eat pasta for dinner after listening to this i'm very very concerned here's jacqueline jacqueline Krupe, thank you so much for joining us on ingredipedia bites first question why pasta Oh, that is a tricky one. Um, Why not pasta would be my immediate answer. But I think for me, the thing about pasta that I love the most is that it can be so many different things. It can be really complex and elegant um, and quite fine dining style. And then it can be really hearty and feed a lot of people really quickly and cheaply. So it just, this one thing is able to be so many different things. And I think I get bored easily, so I love that about pasta. It's just I can do anything with it. I can really upscale it and then I can really make it sort of what, what we would call cucina povera, so like peasant food. So what is your favourite shape of pasta to eat? Okay, so I, I need categories. So in packet pasta, in dried pasta, my favourite um, shape is probably pacchetti. Um, I do also love that shape fresh, but it's hard to make and you very rarely find it at restaurants. Can you describe the shape? Okay, so it's a tubular shape. It's one of the bigger tubes. It's bigger than rigathoni. Um, and you can have it smooth or re- with a ridged edge. And it's delicious with sort of pesto sauces, um, sort of p- any sort of pureed kale or something like that. It goes really nice on pakiri. And then um, it's delicious with... Uh, red sauces and meaty sauces and so it's very versatile um, for stuffed pasta I think my favorite is agnolotti del clin just because of the elegant cut um, and pinch of that shape and then for <laughs> I'm just going to keep going for ribbon pastas it's pappadelle um, I love a really wide ribbon pasta um, and then for little tiny pastina shapes, it's probably ditalini because it's so good in soup and beans and peas can sort of hide inside it. Um, you mentioned at the start there that um, pakari is, is hard to make. What, what is your favourite shape of pasta to make or your favourite type of pasta to make? So I love making orecchiette, um, which is a different style of pasta. It's not an egg pasta, it's just flour and water. Um, and it's a particular flour, it's semola rimacinata. 
but it's just so I've gotten really quick at it. So I think that's satisfying when you're starting off, you can be quite slow and it feels like it takes a really long time, but I don't mind things that take time. Like all, all the things about past, nothing's hard. It just takes a bit of time. Um, and that doesn't bother me so much, but, um, yeah, probably Orikiete, although I also, I really, I, as researching for this book, I learned how to make pasta without a pasta machine, how to roll it with a rolling pin, with a mattarello. And that's how my nonna would have learnt to make pasta because pasta machines only sort of became popular and available for home use sort of in the 40s and 50s. So um, it's a really traditional way to, to roll pasta and you can, it's, it's beautiful. I've sort of fallen in love with it. It's my mission now to have everyone doing it. And now when I use a pasta machine, I feel like mm -hmm. I'm cheating. I feel like I'm doing the easy way. It's like I'm making pasta from scratch and I feel <laughs> like I'm cheating. Um, but yeah, with the mattarello, rolling that out and then hand and cutting all the pasta is that's yeah I'm really enjoying doing that reading your book I'm like so inspired to cook pasta but I it's funny that you say that pasta machines are the easy way because I have like post-traumatic stress disorder no joke from when my mom and I tried to make pasta heaps when I was a kid and she would be like swearing over it and like trying to turn the handle it wasn't working so I need to know your sorry about that <laughs> I need to know your um number one pasta tip for like beginners to make their own pasta. Yes. So start easy is, is always the way. I think some people start and they want to make ravioli and, you know, stuffed pasta is a, is a level of complexity above sort of just a, um, a, a ribbon pasta. Um, I like a pasta, uh, in terms of flour, I like to use a combination of tipo zero zero and semola rimacinata. Um, so sort of three quarters, tipo zero zero, one quarter um, semola. It just makes for a much tougher dough. Um, whereas a tipo zero zero dough, is, it's, it's beautiful and it's more elegant and more velvety, but it's a little bit fussier. Um, so, and if you don't have access to those flours, basically just use plain flour. Um, and you'll get a really nice pasta dough. And as long as you get the ratio between hydration and flour right, so hydration could be in the form of eggs, water, olive oil, um, or a combination thereof, and flour, and I put all those ratios in my book, um, and they're widely available, um, you, you're going to make a beautiful dough. And then if you're having troubles um, with the pasta machine and it's sticking, is that what happened yeah, when you sticking, were a yeah. kid? Yeah, so you, your dough's too okay. wet. So there's lots of things you can do with that. You can um, let it sit for longer and just let it sort of let the gluten relax, let the, some of the moisture sort of creep out into the wooden board below it. Um, you could knead it, a little bit of flour into it. Just put some flour on your hands, a little bit on the board and give it a little knead. Um, or as you roll each piece, when you flatten it a little bit before putting it through the pasta machine, just put a bit of flour on each side of it so there's no chance of it getting stuck in the rollers because once you've got a bit of pasta stuck in the rollers, if you don't clean it all off, the next time you put some through, mm. more is going to get stuck and it's just mm. this horrible continuing It's, it's going to be stuck there for 20 years, which, which it has yeah. been. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get into those rollers to, uh, to clean them, yeah. Okay, Jacqueline, can we talk about toppings? What yes. is your go-to simple pasta <sighs> topping or sauce? Okay, so... Um, my fa in terms of, yeah, what I put on top of pasta once I've made it, um, it would be obviously parmigiano or pecorino. They're the two classic heavy hitters. Um, but I do, I am experimenting more and more with other things. So I love pangratato, which is just breadcrumbs sort of toasted in some olive oil. 
And I have a lot of fun sort of augmenting that with lemon zest or anchovies or rosemary or thyme, whatever you have really. That's a, a flavor bomb, just chili, you know, add that and you've got a really interesting crunchy crumb on top of pasta, which I think we need more of, you know, pasta is so delicious, but put a bit of crunch into it and it's fantastic. Um, I love fried capers. Um, just, yeah, to fry up some capers, toss them on top of, top of almost any pasta and that's delicious. And then my current favourite is also cured egg yolk. Mm-hmm. So where you just cure an egg yolk in salt and sugar um, in the fridge and then take it out and then either in a very low oven um, let it cure off or you, if you don't, if, you, if your oven doesn't get really low, I know some people's oven it would cook the egg yolk. Um, you can hang it in um, cheese bags in your fridge for a little while, and then that grated on top of pasta is sort of like a poor man's botaga. Yum. So that's a strong recommend from me. I must confess, Jennifer Down, who's a fantastic Australian writer, she was posting about it on social media a while ago. I'm like, I have to do this, and I, I've become obsessed. Yeah, she seems like a really good cook as well. Yes, she absolutely is. You should have her on. <laughs> we should. We should. Um, in your book, you mentioned aglio e olio pasta um, being with any other shape except spaghetti is kind of like a crime. Is there a science to pairing pasta shapes and sauces? I think that it has to be because so many combinations have continued through time. And so I did a lot of research into the history of pasta and things like rigatoni with pasta la norma sort of goes really far back. And I just think that that's for a good reason. That's because they go really well together. Um, so I, I don't try to deviate too much from sort of classic combinations. And I also don't try to mix up sort of what's a northern style dish with a southern style dish. I try to keep, you know, my otakete there with all my sort of southern style bitter greens. And um, I'm not going to put, yeah, some complex northern proteiny sort of sauce with that. But, uh, but at the same time, when you're cooking pasta, you can do anything, right? Like you can have so much fun with it. Um, but I do like it to have some essence of its origins. Okay. Can you do anything though? Which leads us to our next question. <laughs> Cheese on seafood pasta, yes or no? Hard no. Hard, Hard no. no. And look, I just I think those, that flavour combination is awful. <laughs> so I don't want to eat that. So, I mean, if you like that flavour combination, go for it. But I'm never going to eat that. No way. <laughs> okay, mental note. Don't serve that to Jacqueline if she comes around for pasta. I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love the pasta without the cheese, but... Um, is there a trick to choosing good dried pasta? Yeah, look, um, I'm not a pasta snob. I think all dried pasta is good dried pasta, but um, in terms of quality, when you're getting... Um, when they've used brass extruders and dried the pasta more slowly, you're getting a higher protein flour. Um, you're, that pasta is going to be able to absorb more sauce. And that's ultimately with pasta so often what we're trying to do is get it to actually absorb some sauce. So, um, yeah, the, there, is a, there is quality differences. And I always just say buy the best you can access and afford. Um, but yeah, you want it to have some texture to it. I think if it's a really shiny surface, that's not a, not a great sign. It needs to sort of be slightly speckled and just have a bit of yeah texture going on. Um, but that it doesn't always come down to price. Like really expensive dried packet pasta doesn't mean always high quality packet pasta. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to buy pasta imported from Italy. I think 
that sort of madness that we're sending packets of pasta across the world. And so I've been eating a lot of locally made packet pastas um, and I feature a, a couple of people making pasta on the Mornington Peninsula in the book just because I think we should be thinking about where our food comes from and if it is available in, at a high, high standard locally, let, let's move to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, just a follow-up question on dried pasta. Mm. Does it last forever? I think so. I mean, it doesn't last long in no, my house, no. so I haven't Theoretic- tested that theory. Theoretically, <laughs> would it last forever in, in a bomb shelter or something? Yeah, you'd think it would, right? Like, what's going to mm. go wrong? Um, it's like salt that lasts forever too, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I digress. Um, okay, this is a pasta-adjacent question. What do you like to eat from the jar or tin? So, I a lot of the things that I have in jars and tins, I have preserved into those jars and tins myself. I don't buy much that comes in a jar or tin. So I have really beautiful um, preserved quinces in jars and I will often open a jar of those and um, it's meant to be on my muesli but it doesn't quite make it. <laughs> um, that said, I love capers, um, anything salty, olives, capers, um, I don't eat anchovies straight out of the tin. I do like to sort of cook them a little. I like them to be warmed, but um, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably my most tin, tin-based tin food and canned food. Nice. So how about your freezer? What's your favourite thing in there at the moment? Um, well, it's, my, it's always my favourite thing in there. I always have maltagliati, which is um, badly, to translate literally is badly cut. Um, so it's off cuts of pasta. When I'm making a pasta, you know, if I'm having a pasta session, there's always bits that sort of get cut off and I always freeze them on a tray and then add them to this huge bag I have. Um, of, of always have a maltagliati and then I add them to soups. So that's always my favourite thing in the freezer. And if I ever see it running low, I panic <laughs> and I basically just make a huge batch of pasta so I have heaps of offcuts so I can, yeah, get it back up. Um, okay, what about your favourite condiment? I really like chili crisp oil <laughs> is that just such a cliche now though it's also um, ours it's so, so that's we're, right we're it's too. so good i made a really average stir fry recently and i thought i can't even eat this this is so <laughs> bland and horrible like what did i do and i just served it covered in, in chili crisp oil and it was delicious mm. just that one addition totally transformed a really mediocre dish it's true magic <laughs> so it really is. And I like the one with the peanuts. Yeah, so yeah. What is your first food memory? I remember, I vividly remember making pasta with my nonna. I rem- it, it's so visceral, that memory. And my job was to turn the crank of the machine. And so she was feeding it through and I just had to keep a steady pace. And that sound is so evocative to me now. Like I, I hear the crank of a pasta machine that just sort of is transformative um so it probably is pasta related and yeah probably helping nonna make pasta and then eating it and we were you know we're big generous servings of food and so I I remember sometimes thinking I cannot eat another thing (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to explode (laughs) I love all the stories of all the different nonnas in the book they're so 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 cute so sweet. Yeah, they're really the heart of the book. I wouldn't have written the book without them. They, yeah, they are the book as far as I'm concerned. Okay. How about your favourite cookbook or recipe site? Do you have a go-to? Yes. <laughs> so I, I love Mira Soda. So she's the vegan vegetarian columnist for The Guardian and her cookbooks East, her cookbook East saved me in one of the lockdowns and just 
made everything better. <laughs> Same with Hedy McKinnon's To Asia With Love. That sort of was a big one and I, I go back to that a lot. Um, and I cook a lot of Indian food as well and so Mirasoda's great for that and Madra Jaffrey. Um, I have every Ottolenghi cookbook, uh, but the person who I think is the most exciting food writer at the moment is Rachel Roddy and her book, An A to Z of Pasta. Um, it came out right as I was starting to write my book and I read it and I thought, okay, I'm not writing this book anymore. Like this, the perfect hook, the, the perfect pasta book now exists. Why on earth would I do another one? Um, but it, it sort of lit a fire in me as well. It's like, oh, I want to, I want to be this good. And it might, you know, I can never, she, I honestly think she's just in her own class, but, um, I do really love that book. It's, it's so authentic and every, I've cooked every recipe in it and will continue to for the rest of my life. But otherwise, going sort of foundational would be River Cafe cookbooks. They're the ones that I go to a lot um, and, have, and have for many, many years. And I could keep going, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> All right. What about your favourite quick snack? So I love aliolio. So that to me is the fastest food I can get into my belly that's going to feel really satisfying and um, filling. And I always have those ingredients. There's never, there'll never be a time when I can't sort of whip that up. But otherwise, I, <laughs> I love chocolate. <laughs> and yeah, I love, I do love sort of crispy roasted chickpeas and always have a stash of those. Um, maybe some edamame as well. They're all good snacks. Uh, on that note, what is the next thing you will probably eat? Oh, I can answer that easily. An amaretti biscuit because I just made a huge batch of them for my launch tomorrow night. So I'm not going to be able to resist. They smell amazing. <laughs> so it will definitely be a little coffee and a biscuit. Yum. Beautiful. Dunked this afternoon. Yeah, I probably will dunk the edge mm, in yeah. and the icing sugar will sort of make the coffee a little sweet. Yeah, it's going to be good. good. I wish I could share it with everybody. but We yeah. wish you could share it as well. Jacqueline Krupe, thank you so much for joining us on Ingredipedia Bites. We we can't wait to one day sample some of your pasta, but we if it's got seafood, we will definitely not put any cheese on it for you. Excellent. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Next week, we've got a full episode of Ingredipedia and we're diving into the world of raspberries and raspberry-related snacks. Of course, of course. All right, we'll see you then. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Wadawurrung people and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Um, ben, I can smell smoke. Did you finally kill every appliance in this studio? No, Em, that's just the waft of perfectly smoking embers from Vivid Fire Kitchen, which is exactly what it sounds like. A pop-up kitchen running as part of Vivid from May 24 to June 15 at the Goods Line in the Sydney CBD, and it's all about cooking with fire. Tandoor, teppanyaki, First Nations food, tender brisket, charred veggies, and aromatic satay, to name a few. That sounds a lot better than your jackals, Ben. No offence. Offence taken. Vivid Fire Kitchen, proudly sponsoring this episode of Ingredipedia.